Hi everyone, this is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. The show is for anyone that is accountable or responsible for making more than one person healthy in this world. And I'm super excited today to have Chris Hillier from Guidewell Innovation on the show. I've known Chris for quite a time, some time now, and when I think of innovation in healthcare, I think of Chris. Um, but before I give too much of his thunder away, uh, Chris, welcome to the show, and maybe you can tell us a little bit uh, about your story. Well, yes, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be speaking to you again, Anthony, and thank you for the invitation. Um, my story is long and broad, so I'm going to shorten it significantly. <laughs> I, I was, uh, my introduction to healthcare was as a nurse, actually cardiothoracic intensive care. Um, when I was a young man, I realized that I was becoming more interested in the biology and the equipment than the patient. So I went off back to school to uh, learn physiology and pharmacology, then uh, moved on to a PhD uh, looking specifically at peripheral vascular disease um, and going through a range of uh, technologies. And it kind of moved into molecular biology towards the end. That led to me becoming an academic, starting a, a very you know successful research group, publishing um, peer-reviewed articles and all that sort of stuff uh, around a range of areas, but mostly around... Uh, metabolic and endocrine disorders like diabetes um, that impacted cardiovascular health. Then um, from that research group, uh, had a couple of patents that led directly to me starting my first company. And that took me off into a wild change of direction to become a startup entrepreneur. Uh, that first company um, became a registered biobank. Eventually, we sold it. Um, and I then started a second company uh, involved in molecular biology, stem cells, and something called microRNA. And then from there, believe it or not, moved to the Caribbean and mm -hmm. to take up a role looking at innovation and entrepreneurship across the Caribbean. And did that for three years living in Barbados. And then heard about this amazing opportunity in Florida to um, be part of a team that was putting together a, a innovation group, innovation center, building a building, uh, doing co-working space and accelerators and all that good stuff. And so joined Guidewell to be part of that revolution. So that's a kind of <laughs> high level, fast run through my life. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, uh, I've always been a big fan of, uh, not just how deep your your competencies go in health into the different dimensions, but uh, the breadth as as well, right? Um, and so, um, entrepreneurial background, uh, clinical, academic, uh, innovation side, um, Chris. With so many you know different areas in health and so many th different things that you've worked on, what's one or two new innovations like currently or or projects or or themes that have you really excited these days in in the in the area of healthcare? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, and and it's difficult um, because because I have this broad background, I I have a bias towards technology. So I, I'm, people who know me will call me a geek, um, and I you know I I just love technology and and innovation in the technology space. So that would um, 
point me towards things like uh, molecular biology, the CRISPR um, technology, which allows us to do gene editing, um, the advances in um, sequencing and bringing the cost down in sequencing. It allows precision medicine to to mm-hmm. really be possible. So in that side of things, I get excited. But then I also get excited in things like the application of t- technologies like blockchain to um, reduce things like medical fraud or um, you know, allow uh, health insurers to have different models for financing, etc. These are all things that are that are coming, you know, coming mm-hmm. into the fore. Then you've got the the advances in imaging and things like uh, virtual reality or probably augmented reality is probably going to be more um, more interesting and, and more effective. So right. it's such a hard question, Anthony. There's so many amazing things happening at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really know where to hang your hat. <laughs> well, Chris, this is good. this is really exciting. You know, I've been looking for a, a guest that's been passionate about uh, CRISPR. I know there's still there's controversies on different dimensions about the technology and the why, but maybe for our listeners, let's uh, let's unpack a little bit. So just to play back, we just mentioned CRISPR, precision medicine. Uh, blockchains, uh, blockchain technology, imaging, VR, AR. I don't think we need to go through all of these, but I'd love to geek out a little bit here and hear about, uh, maybe for our listeners, maybe you can tell them what, what is CRISPR and, and why is it important for humanity, if it's important. You know? So maybe, maybe uh, you can caveat both sides so we're not, we're not leaning towards one side of the con- you know, any, anything controversial. So Yeah, I mean, it's a hard one. And again, <laughs> you know, although I... I worked in molecular biology for for a few years. I don't consider myself a molecular biologist, so I'm going to try not, and, and your audience you know, probably wouldn't thank you for me getting into the <laughs> molecular biology, but essentially we've always been told about and read about the, the promise of being able to uh, actually you know, surgically edit our, our genetic code so that we can we could change our physiology. And that has always been a dream. On, you know, theoretically it was always possible, but the actual mm-hmm. technique to do it just escaped us. And CRISPR is an, a, an acronym um, for a very long phrase that describes a technology that actually allows us to go in and not only cut genetic code out of... Um, of a message which we have been able to do for a while, but to replace a, a repaired piece of code back into that space, so that if you have a piece of um, genetic code that codes for a particular protein, let's mm-hmm. just, let's just say insulin for an example, and you have a, a an abnormal uh, genetic, um, it could be a single base or a number of bases that are abnormal and it's causing insulin to be produced in, a, in an abnormal form, then we mm-hmm. now have the capability to go in and, and snip that out and, and put in a, a, a corrected code, which essentially is a cure. Now, the challenge with that is, of course, um, you know, we have the same genetic code in every single cell in our body, so that's fantastic that we could go into every single cell and do that, but the the scale of trying to do that is still an enormous challenge in an adult. But what we can do is do it in the, what's called the germ cell. I mean, we could do this on a newly conceived embryo mm-hmm. when you've only got 8 or 16 or 32 or 64 cells to deal with. And you can mm-hmm. take that, um, you can do a, t- a, a genetic screen on that embryo. 
you could identify areas that had mismatched or um, you know impaired genetic code, and you could go in and correct it at that stage, and then the embryo would be allowed to develop. And you know, illnesses that that, that are caused by these genetic um, abnormalities would be eradicated, essentially erased. So that's really mm-hmm. exciting from a science perspective. The, the, unfortunately, as occurs c- commonly, as the science has a, a huge financial value associated with it, and um, that means that there's that already there's a battle around who owns this technology. And so, right, you know, as we speak, in fact, I think I read today on Twitter that we are currently awaiting the. Um, the the court case uh, the results of the current court court case about who owns the patent the CRISPR patent and the technology so it's a shame that that these things end up you know get going to court but CRISPR will probably be um, the most important advance in the twenty first century it, it will be where PCR was in the twentieth right. century it's, it's very exciting. Chris Chris do you do you feel like obviously there's an, another conversation about the concept of antibiotics and you know you hear a lot about antibiotic resistant um you know uh strains coming out and if antibiotics will be effective for us as a human race over the next you know hundred or thousand years and there's potentially a a problem bubbling up you also have some theses that uh, you know i love to geek out and, and hear about more about you know how do we how do we get off the planet? You know, if that's something we needed to do, so I don't have an answer, but what if, what if the question is if we, if we wanted to, or if we needed to get off the planet to propel humanity forward over the next thousand to 10,000 years, you know, do our bodies need to be a little bit different? And, um, so do you have any thesis as though maybe on the, I think the second one's probably a whole <laughs> series of podcasts on itself, but maybe I, I, I haven't really asked anyone that pointed question that's passionate about CRISPR, but do you see there's a, there's a, you know, with antibiotics and, you know, you also, you've got, you know, uh, you know, you know, obviously uh, leaders like Zuckerberg that, you know, want to eradicate disease and a lot of entities that are popping up that want to eradicate disease. Do you feel CRISPR and disease eradication and antibi- the new type of antibiotics that, that the CRISPR tech will uh, have a f- effect or b- be a part of that solution? Uh, that's a really hard question again. You, 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 have, you do tough podcasts, Anthony. <laughs> I, I can't eat the. I, I can't. I can't throw the softballs too much. Yeah. But this is really just a really genuine. Maybe it's just more of just you know. I I think about it. Yeah. I, I've been obsessed with this concept for a few months now, and I haven't be, been able to have a conversation with it on with anyone so um selfishly i'm asking this question yeah <laughs> in pure selfishness i mean obviously okay so the, the the bottom line is that we are losing the battle against the microbes i think we all accept that right um the the next layer on top of that is that we have been well served by antibiotics uh, up until now and for some reason that has stalled and there's different arguments one argument is that the bacteria are just outrunning us they're just outpacing us so this their rate of evolution is faster than our rate of developing new antibiotics the other uh, argument though is that we haven't really explored the the vast treasure treasure trove of uh, naturally occurring antibiotics that that are still present in the planet and the the various biomes here and I, mm-hmm. I 
personally, I think that that second, I think they're both true. Um, but the second part of it where we do bioprospecting in you know, places like the ocean and thermal vents and the microbiome and you know, all these various places that we're still discovering new bacteria that have their own internal um, defense mechanisms that we can harness mm-hmm. to fight you know, bad bugs. I, I personally feel that there's still huge opportunities in that space. Now, CRISPR mm. could be a tool in the battle and I'm sure many labs are looking at it from that perspective but the biggest successes we've ever had have come from just harnessing naturally occurring antibiotics that that are created by other bacteria so Mm -hmm. as they fight against each other and and there's no reason that I think why we should change that Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's it's a long, long job to create a library of potential antibiotics to test them and then to, you know, go through all the various stages and um, to get those things to market. So as you and I both know, that's that's a, it's tough enough raising investment for a startup company, but it's it's mm-hmm. a lot harder when that, the end of that startup company is to produce a drug. So, um, right. Uh, but yeah, no, we we were in trouble. I think we all would accept we're in trouble, and um, you know, antibiotics is part of that. Another part of it that we could slightly go off track on, but is is boosting the immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, antibiotics is is a kind of external factor that would help support us against um, you know invading organisms, but we have opportunities probably moving forward to improve our own immune system and CRISPR might be a tool there. This whole mm. idea of the enhanced human is kind of exciting. You know, for the, for those of us who grew up on Star Trek and yeah. science fiction, you know, it's, Superheroes. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, yeah, yeah. The X-Men and mutants and things. Yeah. We, we are almost on the threshold of it and we, we've been hearing that for decades, but, um, you know, CRISPR does start to lend itself to thinking about these things in a little bit more of a realistic way, especially as the prices are dropping down. You've got very successful companies like Illumina who mm-hmm. are really uh, have invested everything in, in bringing down the cost of sequencing and um, uh, you know analyzing genetic material. And then you've got other companies, Integrated DNA Technologies. Um, actually, I just heard this. Last week, I think it came through that Integrated DNA Technologies are the first company to have produced a commercially available kit to do mm. CRISPR in your lab. So, you know, even for these labs and academic or research institutes who maybe don't have the skills to perform CRISPR um, because they haven't, you know, they haven't been involved in the development of the technology, IDT, Integrated DNA Technologies, which is a uh, an amazing company headquartered in Corvo, Iowa, but all across the world now. They've produced this first commercial kit to allow labs to actually start playing around in the CRISPR space. So that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And no, this is this is really great and deep, um, and I, I think it's really important. I was uh, just yesterday. I was uh, looking at uh, what is it? The second new Star Trek into the darkness, and, it, and there's the part where you know, uh, Khan starts talking about his origin and how he was genetically engineered to be the perfect human. And, uh, so you brought me back to, to that geeky world, but, uh, on the, the, um, 
you, you're getting, I think, into your second topic that you're passionate about, which is precision medicine a little bit. I know we won't probably have time to d- dive into blockchain and AR and VR, but can you speak a little bit about anything more in precision medicine or any any projects that you're interested in, in catalyzing there? Or maybe maybe you can inform our listeners here on precision medicine. What, is, what does that mean? How does maybe genetics or an Illumina come into play there, you know? Yeah, I mean, precision medicine is... Uh, uh actually a large large topic one thing to say right up front is people um, many people confuse precision medicine with personalized medicine Mm -hmm. and they are associated and they're linked for me precision medicine is a subset of personalized medicine so personalized medicine the idea that we can have the right treatment for the right person at the right time um, is uh a, a very very important topic and my company guidewell uh, is uh, you know obviously looking towards that uh, opportunity in the future to be part of that you know correct treatment at the right time and all the other things that, that's in context with your you know ethnic group and gender and you know your access to, to healthcare etc so personalizing all of your healthcare is really important for us. Precision medicine is a subset of that, which basically is really embedded in molecular biology again. And it says that we can, if we understand your genetic coding sufficiently, um, and we also have a good understanding of your epigenetic coding. So this is this layer of um, controlling mechanisms that you that you don't inherit from your parents. Um, although some epigenetics can be inherited, but you don't inherit it through the genetic code, but that influence the the way that the genetic code is translated. Um, so your environment, um, your um, how how much you have been, uh, how much stress you're under, or mm-hmm. things like that, they can affect your your epigenetics. So precision medicine really says that once we understand that really really well, we can start to tailor your healthcare accordingly. The one that's the most, the, the part of that's that's most, uh, I guess, of interest for health insurers and, and health providers is the ability to identify a specific drug that will res- that you will respond 100% to. So if, if, if at the moment you go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes a drug, there's a very, very high chance. I, you could argue and I would argue there's a 100% chance that you will have some sort of side effect or what's correctly should be called an off-target effect. So the drug um, does what it's meant to do, but also does things that it wasn't meant to do. And Hmm. you hope that those um, off-target effects are so minimal that you don't even notice, and that's when, you know, the drug does what what you want it to do and you don't notice anything else. But uh, often these off-target effects are noticeable and they cause clinical complications that you, you just didn't want. Um, and that's after the drug's been approved by the FDA and it's on the market. We still see people, you know, with side effects to drugs. With precision medicine, you would be able to precisely target a specific drug that would work specifically for you, but not for your neighbor and not for your brother or your sister, um, mm-hmm. because the drug will have been developed specifically for your genetic um, your makeup. So that's the dream. Um, we already see um, cancer drugs that are targeted towards people with a particular genetic um, characteristic. 
and that's been very, very successful. But it's a, what's so interesting about this isn't just this hope for the future that we can do that, but what it does is it shakes up the whole industry. So, for example, if you know that you are only going to be able to um, respond to one particular drug, then any the, the idea of selling any of these other drugs to you is is crazy. And mm-hmm. um, so the idea of seeing blockbuster drugs that, that you sell to the whole population on TV in a commercial, it's pointless in the world of precision medicine. What that also does is it changes the industry um, logistics in the sense that the, the there are certain winners and losers to that. The ability to negotiate on price, for example, changes um, in different ways because you have, again, this... 100% confidence that a particular drug will work for a particular person. Mm-hmm. So I won't go into the details of that, but it changes up the pharma- the pharmaceutical industry. It, it, it changes the, um, the, the pharmacy, um, specialist pharmacies in particular, and pharmacy benefit managers, payers, all those things. That whole industry starts to look a little bit different. So it's really, really exciting. So you go from this molecular biology and this clever science and what you see is this big wave, a tsunami of change that will, that will ch- affect all of healthcare eventually. How's that for wow. a prediction? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love it. I love it. It does feel a little bit like chicken and the egg, though, because, you know, you get down to precision and the pharmaceutical companies, you know, have to, you know, obviously they have demand model forecasting. But if you're getting into something where they have to demand forecast, it's like, how do they know what what drugs to be precise about manufacturing. I guess it's, yeah, it does seem chicken, the egg. Uh, what I guess there's, is there for like our listeners out there, I, you know, I've always been meaning to try like the 23 and me kit. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I thought Illumina on the back end powers that solution. I, I might be misquoting, but um, is there, you know how wearables like 10 years ago, like there were some early adopters with like the initial Fitbits is there an equivalent to that to on the consumer end to get started where, you know, people now should be, you know, working with the 23andMe or is there, what's a first step to really get yeah. sequenced? It feels I mean, like getting your sequence in order, <laughs> your, your, your DNA sequence uh, and your genetics yeah. known is that, something. That's it. I mean, it's, it's a bit, I think what you're talking about um, is this idea of the citizen scientist where... Right. Your genetic code isn't going to change. So in 10 years' time, it's going to be the same genetic code. Um, it may be that the the test that's that's um, you're translating it for you is much better. So I think if you go down any of the there's you know 23 million other companies who will say we can we can decode your your full genome and mm-hmm. we can give it to you, then that's that's it. Once you've got it, you've got it. The problem is it doesn't really mean much. It won't mean much to you. And it will mean something to 23andMe or whichever company is offering you that that um, service. And there's a number of them now. Um, some of them may say, you know, we can tell you what 50 of your genes mean. And others might say we can tell you what 20 of your genes mean. Some will hold back and say, well, we don't, we, we don't know. You know, th- th- there's a moral and an ethical challenge here where – it's some people want to know that information, but what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a real, that's a not a trivial issue that we, um, that clinicians and, and industry alike are trying to solve. So, for example, if someone um, is given a, a, a risk because of a genetic 
mutation that's found on a sequence and, and that risk is I'm just making stuff up you've got 60% chance of of having prostate cancer and I'm just making this up yeah then um, and then all these men who get that 60% risk of, of having future prostate cancer go off and get prostatectomies because they don't want to have cancer in the future when, and they don't really understand the way statistics work and that this means that 40% chances that it won't happen plus the science is moving forward a lot of these tests and prostate cancer is a great example where we used to rely on biomarker called a PSA but now it's it's almost totally discredited although some people are um, are still you know are using it and then supporting it with with other tests that that actually um, may bring it back into into the marketplace but um, so precision medicine is going to throw up ethical and moral dilemmas and the truth of the matter is the industry doesn't have enough resources to counsel people on this to educate people um, an area that you're very strong in anti and probably speak to more than me is that bring using digital um, communication to educate people um, around healthcare is something that's going to have to be applied here and then you're going to have to make sure that that educational content is is you know clinically sound etc mm-hmm. so the you know we still have a lot of hurdles so we've got we started off talking about the bright <laughs> new world but yeah we're, we've still got some challenges ahead no this is this is great chris i really appreciate it. i mean it's just intellectually stimulating but it's you know these are all you know extremely relative uh you know topics um what what i in I think we're going a little bit over, but this is okay because may- maybe you know next time when we have you on, we can talk a little bit deeper on you know said some of the other categories. I also know Chris from from our previous conversations. You also been passionate about um, you know other topics like access to healthcare, how that's a big opportunity. But um, I guess you know one kind of final question to kind of ground us um, that I always like asking our, our guests is um, you know so Chris, so what is what is one thing that you believe? that has not yet been proven yet, or maybe one thing that you believe that other people may feel is uh, insane? <laughs> I, well, I have, there's a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> you're talking to a Scotsman here, so we... I well, Let me think. Uh, currently, okay, so here's an interesting thing. I, I was brought up on Western science, um, trained uh, as, as a clinical nurse, trained as a scientist you know so I've my whole life has been involved in the western paradigm but I the the older I get and the more um, the more I learn the more I actually move towards the logic of eastern medicine and the idea of the holistic um self Mm-hmm. Uh, now you know some people. You know, in Cleveland Clinic, we've got people working in, in functional medicine, integrative medicine, and that's that's a really step in the right direction for me. It's great, but in a strange way, what people probably think that I would think is that that I would think that they would think is insane is I actually don't believe in differential diagnosis anymore. The idea that you go with an illness or a symptom, and then we just you know, tick off all these boxes. What don't? What don't you have? What don't you have? What don't you have to zero in? And what we do have, and then treat that symptom, and then think that that is medicine. And I'm, I just don't trust anymore because, first of all, the cost and the wasted um, time and the stress and and all that thing going through that differential diagnosis pathway you see the way some of Chinese medicine and Indian medicine and other 
you know, older cultures work, they seem to cut through all that noise. They, they don't, they may not have names for what's wrong with you, but they seem to be keeping their population happy and healthy. So um, that sounds a little bit like a, I'm an, a kind of Eastern guru. It, it, <laughs> it comes from a real scientific perspective on it. And I, I'm really taking my hat off to um, some of the clinicians, senior clinicians who are, who are following down these, you know, these yeah. paths. And uh, so, yeah. So the more I learn about science and I'm passionate about it as a way of, of learn, uh, as a way of learning about our world, but applying it in medicine, I, f- I think we're, we're going too far down this road to differenti- differential diagnosis. Anyway, how's that for something controversial? Yeah. No, it feels right. You know, I mean, I think, I agree with, you know, I, you just have on, on the Eastern side, you have thousands and thousands and thousands of years of just case studies and information on how to treat things. And so it, it is a really interesting perspective. Um, and so, no, I, I think I, you know, I, I do feel like what you're mentioning here is, is something and it's, it's, it's well noted, you know, some of the healthiest places on the earth are not really on the Western hemisphere. Right. So we, yeah, we, we said statistically just pure sober you know looking at it in a sober way statistically speaking if, any, not, if yeah. any of your listeners are are interested in this i, I got to tell you there's, <laughs> there's a, a clinician in the cleveland clinic called mark hyman i don't know if mm-hmm. you know mark hyman, yep who works in a, in a number of areas in functional medicine the microbiome which is one of them you know this idea of the bacteria in your gut but um uh, we had a conversation with them it was about a year and a half ago now at the, uh, at the cleveland clinic innovation conference actually and, and he said and i'll never forget him saying that when he was starting off in his career doing this stuff, he was they treated him like a witch doctor as if he was doing witchcraft. And now everyone wants to invite him to their to the party. <laughs> um and it's because I think it's working, I think. Yeah. That this and, and it's a combination of Western medicine and Eastern medicine, this holistic way of looking at the patient. Um so Mark Hyman, Cleveland Clinic, he's probably got a book out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a that's a great reference point, uh, Chris. But um, no, that's this is a beautiful way I think to end end the show in this episode. Um, you, we touched upon so many things, but this is you know the goal of the show is from a population health perspective. You know what are the the interesting fringe health topics to have a discussion about, and that you know things that we should be looking at. And obviously, these are in technologies and topics that really make a big difference over the next maybe twenty four or even thirty six months. But absolutely feel relevant in a in a longer period of time which i think is is important so chris i can probably geek out with you um for a long time on, on a variety of different topics but we'd love to have you back and maybe we can dive deeper on some other elements uh chris uh you know what's a good way for people to interact with you uh online or follow you online or, or get in touch with you if, if that's something you would like um well i it's twitter is is just um at C Hillier one two three, so C H I L L I E R, pronounced chillier, but it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> one two three um, on Twitter, and um, and you can connect on LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well. Great, great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, and to our this was this was great having you on. And to our listeners, again, this is the Pop Health Show. Episode 15, 16, 17, one of those. Uh, but long story short, uh, this shows for anyone uh, with the passion for making groups healthy. So uh, 